The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Welcome to the Future of Health Coaching Summit. I'm Joel Kreisberg, and I'm very excited to introduce David Drake as my guest today, who's going to be sharing with us about narrative coaching. David is the founder and director of the Center for Narrative Coaching and Design. He serves as a thought leader for the Institute of Coaching affiliate with Harvard Medical School and has worked with over 70 organizations to design innovative changes and developmental programs, including, among other things, healthcare institutions. But most importantly, he has recently published a book, Narrative Coaching, and we're going to hear a whole lot about it because, as you know, I'm interested in narrative coaching, particularly in healthcare. So, David, welcome to the Future of Health Coaching Summit. Thank you, Joel. Good to be here. So I think we should just start off with narrative coaching. I want to, I'm going to sit back and listen for a couple of minutes. Tell us what narrative coaching is in your work. Well, I've, uh, I developed this work about 15 years ago in the context of my dissertation, trying to find a way to connect changes in people's stories with changes in their lives. And could we understand what was happening for them by watching the way their stories changed over time? And so what I've evolved over the last 15 years is really a methodology to help people listen to stories in a profoundly different way. And in essence, it's um, stories have a purpose. They're trying to accomplish something. And so we're trying to look at how do we help somebody understand the often um, tacit or unconscious things they're trying to communicate through their stories. Um, and, and, and I like to think about it is a story lives in them, but because it's so close to them, they can't really see it. And so we try to bring that story out into the room and we help them notice the story in some new ways, uh, work with the story material to find some ways uh, to look for openings, where are the opportunities in their stories uh, for change to happen. Mm -hmm. We kind of work with the story that material that way and then help them put together a new narrative and bring that back into themselves. Mm -hmm. and so, and so when you use story, it's not like, it, it, it's interesting because we, sometimes you think of like a story, but it sounds to me like the way we are just showing up has a lot to do with the story. Yes. So the, the story is not just the word. So we, 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 we invent a story every time we tell it. So we draw from our experience and our knowledge of the audience and the conditions, and we form a story around um, a, a difficult day or a relationship or a desire. And, um, but th that story lives in us all the time as a narrative. It lives in our body, in our posture, in our sense of ourself, our identity, our relationships. And so we're trying to look at the, the whole picture of what goes into any given uh, narrative. And one of the paradoxes of this work is that in the, the way we teach this, we're very keenly interested in the nuances of the story itself in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But then after a while in the process, we actually let that go. Mm. And we sort of get underneath us the material and try to work with it that way uh, and not get too obsessed about the details of the story because it doesn't really matter that right. much. And then mm -hmm. we, at the very end, when people are trying to find language and structure about what they're trying to change, then the story details become more important again. And then they're rearranged and reconfigured in a way that actually is now going to work for them, and the story itself becomes important again. Interesting. So we're, we're, we're listening, or you, or I'll say we, because I, 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 I integrate this in many ways in the way yes. I 
as well. Um, there, you, we're listening carefully to the story, which could be the words, but it's the whole way the person's showing up. Correct. Right. Yes. And you're, you're actually allowing them to deepen their understanding of themselves. Yes. Along the way. Yes. And that is, and, and, but at the same time, then we don't get so caught up in the, in the actual content. When you say the details and the actual, you know, you sort of allow it to sort of open up to whatever's emerging. Yes. And, and so the, the analogy we often use is that somebody will present a partially formed narrative about something, an explanation about why something is the way it is. And it's like a house and, and they want to say, well, this is the house, but we know that that's not really the whole house because that's just the part of the house they can describe at mm. that moment in time. And then you see this all the time in healthcare where people would come with a presenting symptom or a presenting concern and that this is my house. Oh, it must be this. And I've done the, and we are looking for sort of side doors into the house mm, to nice. get at the rest of the material. Right. And we sort of, uh, again, it's a very uh, compassionate approach. So we uh, take what they present at face value. Mm -hmm. We don't offer any judgment of it. We just accept who they are and what the story is about. And then we start exploring. So where's the opening in this story to find the rest of it? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, that's, that's why I'm so attracted to your work because it really is, it's, you know, very often in healthcare, people come in with, they've sort of adopted a medical story. Yes. In a lot of ways. And what you're describing is, okay, that's partially the house, but let's open some windows and see what's really inside. Yeah. And so I can, and I can give you a really concrete example from my own life. So I had cancer about five years ago mm -hmm. and I, um, it, well, I had some symptoms, but uh, they were mostly bothersome more than worrying. But I, I have a doctor I liked a lot. And so I went to see her. She did all the usual scanning things and, and uh, all the medical data came back negative. There was nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she said, well, I, I can't help you because you don't fit into a category. And, right. Right. and I said, but my intuition was just so strong. that uh, something wasn't quite right. Mm -hmm. So some time went by. I, I went back and I decided to try again. And so in a really brilliant move on her part, she said, well, uh, everything I've looked at doesn't give me any indications. He said, but what, what are you doing when you most notice this problem? Mm. And mm. I said, I'm reading my books to my daughter. At that point, she was probably seven or six or seven. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, maybe yeah, five or six. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, what, what, like, what does that look like? And she said, well, I'm, I'm down here and I'm reading the book. And that's when I notice it in my throat like this. And so she said, well, do that again. And mm. so she did this and she said, oh, I could feel it's really tense right there. So then she said in a sort of, uh, interesting move. She said, let's do the opposite. Let's have you lean all the way back. Mm. And then when she, when I leaned all the way back, as far as I could go, the, uh, a growth, the size almost of a golf ball came out from behind my clavicle. Wow. wow. And, yeah. um, and that's why I was having so many problems breathing and stuff because it was pressing up against my throat. Mm. And she goes, Oh, <laughs> Oh, Oh, that, you know, that, <laughs> No, right. it's a problem, but it was really sure, yeah. getting, out of, getting outside the medical frame to right. the frame of my life and yeah. asking that question, like, when do you notice this? What are you doing? Right. And, uh, and that was just really a powerful thing. And um, yeah. And, and also tuning it into your body and yeah. your sense of now. So it's like, yeah. well, let's see what you're doing. Yes. That's fabulous. I think that story, because I've heard a little bit of that story, it doesn't. It has a happy ending as well. I mean, we should make sure if you got the yeah, yeah. answer that 
that over over time that didn't turn into that that turned into something that you were able to solve. Yeah, so it turned out to be cancer, but a fairly a very treatable one, quite simply. And um, but 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 even even that was uh, you know an interesting process in terms of reframing my. I, I had the good fortune of two providers, uh, her and then a, the surgeon, who were very attuned to people. Mm, right. so they asked very different kinds of questions mm. uh, of me. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good word, attuned, because I think what partly part of the, your methodology is this idea of listening. Yes. And is listening. So, 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 how do what's unique, or how do I attune? How do I listen to 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 my clients differently than the conventional way? I might yeah. Say. So there's a couple of things that we teach in our programs around listening. One is that. Um, we look at silence as the basis of all conversations and we aim to only talk when we can improve on silence, which isn't as often as we think. So we, we trust that the resolution is already present and our job as a listener is not to make something happen, but to notice what's already unfolding. And so it's a very, uh, a very sensitive, but very um, uh, light touch in that we're not trying to drive the conversation through questions. We're trying to notice what's uh, occurring. And so one of the things that that means is that oftentimes when um, even with like quote unquote active listening, which is really just less passive listening, mm -hmm. uh, it's very focused on the dyad between the two people. Mm -hmm. And you get really sort of a, really focused on, on the content and what's happening, which is important. But we look to, uh, we look at um, listening across all four dimensions. So it's, this is one, so this right. is sort of uh, depth. Then we have width, bringing the whole room into the picture, like what's happening in this whole conversation around us? What other voices are, there, are in the room in terms of characters in the story or characters in their life? Mm -hmm. Look at it in terms of height. So we look at, there's many levels to which to listen to people, mm -hmm. emotionally and logically and relationally and um, contextually. And, and so we wanna listen to all that. And then there's this movement through time. You know, how is the story progressing through time? And so for me, part of the way we listen then is we're, we're listening to all those, all those uh, dimensions at the same time. Of course. Which means I have, to get, I have to tune into you and not tune into you simultaneously mm -hmm. right. so I can notice uh, what's happening in this field between us that's being created by the story you're telling me. Mm. That's where most of the richness comes. Right. Yeah. Right. No, that's really important because, you know, well, actually going all the way back, silence is where you start. I guess you'd have yeah. to practice silence a little bit yes. in order to do that. And then also going beyond the, I guess the, the ordinary narrative is this sort of verbal thing that we're doing. Yes. Yeah. Allowing the bigger narrative. I mean, just even right, you and I, I mean, we're, we're not in the same room. We're on a video. We have a context. So there's a lot, yeah. of, a lot of other stuff going on here. Right. 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 It's not distracting us, but letting that in. Yeah, well, and, and, and as part of that, I, mean, I like, like your phrase around letting it in. So, um, again, um, many of us that come out of expert-based backgrounds, we're teachers, doctor, you know, medical people, mm. lawyers, we're all sort of driven by this idea that my knowledge is what really matters here. Mm -hmm. And um, I need to ask you questions and listen to you so that I know what knowledge to give you or what knowledge to use to, to do something for you. Mm -hmm. And so the way we frame this to narrative coaching is that your, uh, your knowledge may be useful or it may not be useful, but it will be useful later in the conversation, not at the beginning. Right. 
And so we, we, we just like to help people understand that um, your job is to help the other person show up with their own story. That's your fundamental job, right. your only job in the beginning. Yeah. And so what I appreciate about that is you're not saying you can't use that expert stuff. It's just saying you might want to wait with that expert right. to when it's appropriate and allow yourself to really get a sense of what's going on, which is usually way more complex. Yes. And that expert has a habit of intervening too early yes. or from a particular agenda, which may not be relevant. No, and, and so I know when I used to, I've done a lot of this uh, work in organizations and leaders who are very busy, like many healthcare people are, um, uh, often are concerned, well, if I just listen in the beginning, the person is going to go on and on and on and, and take up a lot of our time and I've got things to do and they've got things to do. And, and so I, I tell them that, it, but the reality, if you think back to the most meaningful conversations in your life, uh, you may not remember exactly what the person said, but you remember the quality of your experience of being with them. Mm. And so people go on and on and on when they don't feel seen and heard. Mm. If they are allowed to be witnessed that way, then they're actually their own anxiety drops. Right. Their trust goes up, their mm -hmm. confidence goes up and their willingness to share more openly and deeply um, grows. Right. So, yeah. No, there, there's a wonderful way in which, sorry to interrupt, there's one way in which no. time opens up when you yes. can be present to listening to that broader narrative as you're describing. Yes. Yeah. Which is just a fascinating thing. So then it's just a more, I mean, you know, what comes up for me is because, you know, often, you know, health coaches is one of our audiences here. They're also working in context in the healthcare context of which is a lot of experts yes around. and so even when you're relating to colleagues or professionals or physicians there's a way that that listening that you're describing is can be a really powerful tool for how you get along for how you yes. work with others. yeah and so for me the distinction we make is around um it's not about um uh, inquiring into or listening uh, about the story it's about listening into the story like what's mm -hmm. happening in the story and and so I, an example just a couple of days ago from a woman who i was coaching who um was um we normally um though i work over uh, text and email and because she lives far away and so we decided to do a video uh, session mm -hmm. and she said well i don't feel as confident you know speaking as i do writing Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, so what's that about? And she said, well, I, I don't really like the sound of my voice that much. And so I'm just not as confident when I'm speaking this way. And so something, so one of the ways I, as an example that I used my expertise is often when people don't like the sound of their own voice, one of two things have happened. One is that they've been shamed around their voice, but somebody mm -hmm. didn't like it. Yeah. And or um, they didn't have enough experience early in life of being, um, uh, to, to, from an attachment perspective, to be to be met, to be to the have voices come at them that match the voice that they're trying to project, and so there's not a matching, an attunement, right, you know, right. neural resonance, yeah. and and so I didn't really have a sense that, that, that the former was true for her, but I said to her, uh, in a sort of funny way to start a coaching conversation, tell me about the relationship with your mother when you were young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I yeah. used my expertise to form a question, and I could have been wrong, so I was willing to let it go. But I, and I said, and she said, well, that's really odd. And I said, uh, so like imagining like being held by your mom, and then kind of what happened in the in the time after that. And she goes, well, you won't believe this. And so she turned her computer around, 
And there above her computer was a picture of her, of her and her mother when she was a baby being held by her mom. <laughs> wow. And, and, and so she went on to talk about how she was the oldest child and then her, her siblings came along, everything went to hell in their family. And, and so she lost out on that voice, that soothing voice of her mother. She never really had it ever again. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, she just stopped talking because right. she, there was nobody to mirror her experimentation with language. And she's actually very articulate and she's actually a very good speaker, but she internalized this narrative about herself of, I don't like my voice. And so we then did work with the rest of the session to begin to look at the ways that was limiting her and how she might begin to create a different narrative for herself. Actually, it's a great example of how, you know, you listened it, 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 it was very fine listening to yeah. uh, you know, right at the beginning. I mean, just she's yes. making a comment. Yeah. And then that led you to making an inquiry. Yes. It's not an assumption. It's no. just an inquiry. Saying, yeah. well, what about this? And yes. all of a sudden this whole thing opens up. Yes. And then, this, and then the whole, the whole bunch of other stuff came out with that story that we then became sort of little seeds for other stories that we pursued during the course of the session. Right. Um, right. Yeah, that's a good story. Thank you. For, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So this was all under the, you know, we were talking about listening and yeah. listening is key to narrative coaching. It's like, you know, it's key to a lot of coaching and all sorts yes. of that. We're, 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 you're creating a, you've created a language around listening that allows the, the coach, but it's almost anyone, but obviously we're talking about coaches to sort of enter into a bigger dialogue. Yes. Right. And that's where there's a lot of uh, actually interesting. I mean, it power is not the right word, but there's a lot of power there. But there's certainly a lot of potential. Yes. For yes. change. And then in a way, it becomes more exploratory. And this is where you said early in the conversation, you sort of you, you sort of lose your way from or you don't have to focus much on the narrative. Yes. Go to the potential. Yes. So what's the narrative trying to accomplish? What's what's happening there? Mm-hmm. Uh, that we want to uh, pay attention to. And when I teach my programs, we, people are often quite surprised that they, we, one of the activities we do is largely nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and yet it's probably the most powerful thing we do for mm-hmm. people. And they say, but I don't understand what they're talking about. And how can I help them? I don't know what they're talking about. And I said, you don't need to know. It's not important. Right, right, right. No, <laughs> it's right. not relevant. And uh, it will be at the end because they'll need to find some language to describe what happened right. uh, and what it means and what they want to do about it. But in the meantime, we're just trusting. So it's like we make, we make this, um, uh, this is like we make this assumption that we have to understand to be able to help and that uh, nothing else is going to happen until we do something. But mm. in reality, this new story is unfolding in this person anyways. My body, right. when, I was, when I had cancer briefly, my body was already trying to help heal itself. Right. I just didn't know that yet. I didn't know I was sick and I didn't know I was getting better. Right. And so it was basically the, the language of the doctor and the language for myself began to create a structure around that that helped me understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. But that was already happening anyways. I was getting sick with, without, with or without a diagnosis. Right. I was getting better with or without, you know, names for right. all of it. Um, right. Totally. So, you yeah. know, actually, I, I love the way you're describing that because – in my mind, what we call getting sick is also could be seen as the body's or the person's attempt at healing. Yes. They're, they're, they're structurally coupled as a fancy word for that. Yes. We kind of fo- we pay attention to it as sort of negative or as symptoms or pain, but that's also the indications of how we're adjusting or adapting 
yes. positively if we look at it from that perspective. Right. Which is not so much the common medical perspective, but it's clearly in the narrative coaching perspective, is the opportunity mm-hmm. for any sign and symptom to give us a view into that house, going back to that metaphor. Yes. My house. And so one of the one of the things we teach people early on is that we we invite them to consider the possibility that the words good and bad mean nothing around stories. Mm. That there are no good in stories or bad stories, they're just stories. Right. And, and you know, like the old sort of um, Eastern saying about, you know, for, for the want of the nail, the, the war was lost. And, you know, this, uh, we think something's good, and then we see the bad side of it. We think it's bad, and then we see the good. And it's just easier to let go of all that because there's all kinds of right. assumptions and shame and blame and, and just say what is true. Which is interesting because that you you did also talk about that. So you have to let go of trying to do something or make something happen yes. for the client, or which is the which is the other side of trusting that engaging at this level of listening, yes, of letting go of of the story will naturally be healing, or there's a quality of transformation that's going to emerge. Yes. And just holding it sort of reminds me of vision questing. I mean, if you sit around out yeah. loud in the desert long enough, all sorts of stuff happens. Yes. <laughs> By doing and and all, all we're doing in narrative coaching is creating some safety and structure for that right. to happen sooner. Right. Which is interesting because you, the way you say that, there's a wonderful, well, all you're doing, but we know that that's actually <laughs> the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, making more silence or allowing more yeah. silence. Well, that's actually harder than it sounds. Or, you it know, is. The alls we're doing is providing that safety for the container, and that requires owning or having enough structure in, built into the way I'm coaching or the way I understand my relationship for that to emerge. Yes, me having to sort of you know look at my checklist, mm-hmm. right? It's more how am I showing up, right? In a lot of ways, which to me is why why we started with listening. Yes. Right. Because that's what you're saying. So you're naturally fundamental. You gave two principles. One was, you know, don't say anything unless there's something. How do you describe it? That you it's only, only talk when you can improve on silence. Right. So that that is a, a very yeah. right, a very positive way of saying, can you give some space? <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 You know, and and then the, out, this person's going to just naturally be themselves. The client is naturally being themselves, but through that showing up, they deepen. They're letting go of that narrative. So are we could describing. We're starting to talk about the narrative cycle. Is that where what the is that the right language for this? The well, it could, it could, I mean, there's so there's sort of um, from a listening perspective, one of the we use a model called the narrative diamond, which ah. helps people sort of situate themselves in what they're listening for and. Um, so in the first phase of the model, it really is about the person as a narrator. So mm-hmm. do they feel seen, met, heard? Um, and it's really about helping them be present in the room and to themselves mm-hmm. and to their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, not uncommon for in coaching for people to present stories that are about them, but not by them. Like, well, you won't believe what my boss has done or I have yeah. this problem with my kid or yeah. my career. And, um, and so we want them to get to show up in their story as its author. Mm-hmm. And so they can begin to take some more accountability and then also have the maturity to see themselves as a protagonist, to look back at themselves in the story. But it's mm-hmm. all about them. That's all we're trying to do is get them in the room. And um, and oftentimes if we can do that, a lot of problems go away because they actually just want to be heard. <laughs> so that, and that's a really important yeah. because we just have the habit of talking about everything else. Yeah. 
even though we're, we're we are authoring, but it's easier to say I didn't like what Sally did or what Sam yeah. did and say I felt uncomfortable. Yes, Sally. Right. And, and so we uh, we teach this idea of called radical presence that our presence actually is enough to do the vast majority of the healing for most people. Mm -hmm. uh, under, you know, assuming there's no you know pathologies going on or you know other big things, but um, it, do not underestimate that. And so then we, you know, at one end of the diamond, so I, we position ourselves in coaching off to the side as mm -hmm. opposed to across, like you and I are. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to overemphasize the dyadic relationship between the two people. Mm -hmm. We want to leave space, as you were saying, a sense of spaciousness for the story. Right. So we're, we're off to the side kind of engaging the, the client, but we're also then looking out across the room. Mm -hmm. And so the, the second sort of phase of the model is across the diamond uh, to the other side is the story. Mm -hmm. And so the more the person is aware, the more they're confident and trusting they are, the more of the story they're going to tell us. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, we accept whatever comes up as the best of their ability at that point in time to tell that story. Honor, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but we're we're shifting our attention from the narrator to the story. So what does the story want? Mm. You know, and so we're become the advocate for the story. And the story in, in our work is really around what's not being said. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. would it allow the story to feel complete? Mm -hmm. And you know, in medicine, there's always there's sort of a famous doorknob effect. You know where the real reason why somebody came to the doctor doesn't show up until the doctor grabs the, the door handle to leave. Oh, well, I meant to tell you this one thing. It's probably not very important, but you know, right, right. so they actually, in some places now are teaching doctors to do that soon, sooner. Right. Yeah. But um, we want to know what's not in the story yet. That really needs to be in the story for mm -hmm. that, that sort of side door, that sort of mm -hmm. opening for something different. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, uh, but again, this does not require lots of time. It does not require lots of details. It's really about the the essential elements of the story, the essential truths of that story. Um, but then, um, the more of that you have available, then the better off you often are. Of course. And um, again, because it's the story people are telling, it's the stories of fiction. So all of our stories are fictions. Of course. Um, yeah. Some are just more true than others, but. So because most of us are not aware enough to see that clearly for ourselves because we're living it, mm -hmm. we, we look at this idea of a projective space, sort of, a, sort of the, the, other, uh, the top of the, of the, of the diamond, mm -hmm. uh, and we look at the, the, the critical or the core characters in the story. Mm -hmm. Because we find that people, again, because they're hard to notice it themselves, will project onto characters in their story elements of things they would like to talk about, but don't realize it's about them. Mm -hmm. you know, so it might be uh, you know, the boss in the story or the child in the story or the driver in the story. And we're just listening for what are the messages in the story that would be helpful for the person to hear, which are fundamentally about them, right. but they don't know that yet. And we, it creates a sense of safety where mm -hmm. they can talk out there about this character. And, um, and and then we're slowly trying to bring that in about what is this because uh, it is speaking for mm -hmm. what wants to be said. Mm -hmm. It's giving voice to what wants to be said that the person can't say yet themselves. Right. So and, and this could be a person, it could be an emotion, it could be a place. One of my favorite ones uh, was a kayak. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> where, uh, um, a woman I was coaching. Uh, uh, was massively overcommitted to her job, was burning out, uh, but couldn't figure out how to say no. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And so the simple avenue was, I said, do you ever take time off? And if so, what do you do? We discovered we had a mutual love for kayaking. We had been kayaking many of the same places. And I said, so you know, tell me about your kayak trip. And she said, well, I load up and then I've got my boat and then I have a bag on top of my boat where I put my, all my essentials like my cell phone. And I'm like, oh, time out. And why is your cell phone on the boat? <laughs> well, in case somebody needs me at work. Right, right, right. Said, so you're telling me nobody at work can manage anything for you. Right. Yeah, but I, I, I want to have it there just in case they need me. Okay, right. Yeah. And so, so her kayak, so I said, and what is your kayak thinking? If your kayak had a voice, what would it say? It said, leave the damn phone at home. Nice. We're, out, we're out here for you to enjoy yourself. We want to just be free to be out in the ocean. We don't want to have to deal with this right. for an hour. So we'd like to have, I mean, this, we, so we, we, and we keep trying to like knock the phone off, like, but you're not listening. So I said, so the next time you go out, what would it take for you to leave your phone at, off at the office? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd have to like probably delegate stuff. Great. So who would like to delegate? To? Right. And so, and so, and so I said, so the kayak became her, it was an extension of the part of herself mm-hmm. that wanted to learn how to say no. Of course. Yeah. And, and because she couldn't do it herself. We gave voice to the kayak metaphorically for the, the kayak to speak that for her. Right. I've got, well, no, it's wonderful because then instead of asking her to be interior, you actually ask her to project. Yes. So, that's, so the third part, what would the kayak say of you so I can look and see Yes. Uh, kind of person brings her cell phone out to the ocean? You know, I guess it's metaphor in some reason. It's a yes. version of metaphor. But it's, it is, very much. If you're allowing the elements of the story, we're back to that word, Yes. Uh, the narrative to uh, allow these voices to emerge. Correct. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because if anybody ever wants to get around to reading narrative coaching, which is a wonderful book that I've read now several times, you actually trace some of the historical history of the academic fields that go along with what you're describing. Correct. It didn't just pop up out of nowhere. No, no, no. You know, there's a lot of tradition, psychology, uh, you know, a bunch of different pieces that's really powerful. I like that stuff, but you you don't have to do, you can just do this. Correct. It's something that that can come up. I really appreciate that, you know, that's a good example of, of, um, of finding, you know, allowing the client to find themselves, from, see themselves differently from elements of their own narrative, their own, yes. which is, is not something that, you know, so much in the health coaching, the way I understand health coaching is so much about, you know, driven by behaviors and outcomes and kind of ignores the those are serving some sort of element in our in our narrative in our story, yeah. right? Uh, and you're saying bring it in. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember um, I did um, every semester. I did a one day thing for one of the big graduate coaching programs that was very famous for its focus on goals. And so I became known as the guy who doesn't believe in goals. And so there was quite a packed house when I would come talk. And uh, so and every every term the students would would dare me to coach somebody in front of them without any goals. I said, sure. And I, you know, I loved it. It was a great challenge. And, um, you know, and I often got classical ones. So like a woman who wanted to lose five more pounds. Right. I said, great, bring it on. And uh, so she said, well, yeah, I've had my second child and I, I just can't lose that last five pounds. And I'm feeling really bad about myself and I should be doing different. And I said, great. So that's an interesting thing to be wanting. And um, so within about five minutes, she figured out that, uh, that that was a social construct Mm-hmm. From from her community of her ethnic community, but her, also her family, that you should look a certain way after. Yeah. And she said, 
And I, I'd asked her questions like, well, do you feel happy and healthy? I said, I feel great. And I said, and so why are you losing? Why do you feel this need to lose the five pounds? And she realized that she didn't. It was from everybody else. Right. And so it was a great example of what we call the goal evaporation theory. Oh. <laughs> Where we focus, like you said, we focus so much on outcomes, which is important in a way. So we have a sort of a direction, but um, we often don't spend enough time about why is it you want that outcome? And yeah, well, no, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, well, the outcome gets you what you really want. Right, which is, you know, because I thought you were going to go a different direction with okay. that because I was thinking that that, that that goal orientation is such a, there's such a tug that if you ignore it, it shows up anyway. I mean, uh-huh. what you're describing is in your, it is a different version of it because the goal of apparition is, is what your target was, what you, you know, is turns out to be different by the time you're done with the story. You adjust. Yeah. Goal. And your goal is, you know, in the end, she's happy now. So she yeah. got her goal, just to be happy. And so, like, you know, I mean, everybody has, I mean, it's, everybody has their own strategy to get what they want. But, like, for me, when you, for example, obsess about how much you weigh on a given day, your weight is not a great barometer for how healthy you are or how well you're doing. And, um, you know, it's, it's good as a reality check sometimes or it's good as a, you know, whatever. But I'm, you know, I, I just find that, you know, my one of the best things I do for people is help them to release stories that don't serve them at all right. and to relax and to be able to trust themselves because right. we are our best healers. Right. Which, yeah. Which is very powerful for health and wellness coaching. And to me, that's one of the, I think that's one of the ideal uh, um, ways that health and wellness coaching really is going to have an impact because it's, we, we sort of learn this idea that, our health is this sort of static idea. Our blood test is this way. Our weight is this way. But the fact is what our bodies are doing very much reflects what's going on in our life. Yes. So if I, you know, very much it's telling us it's really like a barometer. I mean, I actually say yeah. this, I'll give a specific example. Cholesterol to me is a stress indicator. So if your cholesterol is high, I actually say, well, let's look at what's going on in your life. And you someone says, well, I got three kids and I'm divorced and I got five jobs and six. It's like, no wonder why your cholesterol is doing yeah. that. You got to look at what's happening and see it as an indicator for how to, to deal with what's going on inside. Which in, you, you know, so. Well, and, and that's a great example, too, even for my own, if I look at my own life, you know, so I've been blessed all my life with extraordinarily good cholesterol scores. And in large part, it's because I eat well and I try to keep my stress under reasonable control and get good exercise. But um, I had an opportunity to present, participate in sort of a health study from a, a company that's pioneering a new sort of way of um, assessing blood and if, in terms of what it means for the, your overall health, particularly your heart. But I, and I learned from my naturopath um, much more of the nuances of not only types of cholesterol, but the mechanisms by which cholesterol operates in your body. And so he said, well, yes, your score is brilliant. And so overall you're doing like way better than the vast majority of people, but underneath that are some small little pieces uh, like that we might want to pay attention to. And so we've started on a little um, supplement regime to kind of fix, you know, fix, but to support part of my system that's not as strong as it could be. And he said, you you would motor on forever looking at your great scores and you might miss this little piece. So, right. yeah. so is, but he put the, but he uses expertise in the context of a broader narrative exactly. about my overall good health. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, and we got into this conversation because I think what I noticed is that we adopt this sort of external notion of how we understand our health. 
Yes. So narrative coaching, you know, seems to be key at helping us own our own story, whatever that's yes. going to I mean, actually, I was listening to a, a famous uh, rock singer. Terry Gross was interviewing a singer. I'm not going to name her, but she's a very large woman. And it was all about she comes from a family of large women, and that's the body it is, and she feels fine about it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, and it was a wonderful, like, you know, so what of it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I really appreciate it. It yeah. was like, well, she's not saying, well, we're all going to get sick and die and blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is my family's value. Yeah. It's a, it, it, it feels good, and she's a very successful singer. Yes. So, interestingly, so we're, we're we're slowly so so we're allowing for who we are is the way I would describe it. Yes. In versus, well, what are my goals? It's like, well, what are those goals really about, and how are they in a context? And so then this idea of situate, I know, is sort of like the first one of the early phases of the yes. formal methodology. You know, where are we? And then. Of course, <laughs> journey uh, as a narrative coach. So how would you describe that? Well, again, it's, um, we look at it, we we built the model around a rite of passage. So we build in the natural human progression through transitions, the natural human progression through uh, development, uh, and match that up to the four phases of a narrative. And so we're basically tracking the person as they're telling their story, working with some of their material that sort of liminal space in the bottom, and then helping them reconfigure those elements back into a new story for themselves. And so, and we're trying to, part of our job in the coaching space is to help people across each of those thresholds that separate those phases. Mm. You know? And so it's really about, um, you know, I find like when people are faced with a dilemma, they will search for their usual strategies whether it's I'll work harder or I'll, I'll drink or I'll be, I'll do whatever I do. And so the search is really about, well, what if we were to suspend that? And what if we were to tell a story, your story a very different way and mm-hmm. look at very different things. And that's where we can really help them uncover what they really want. Mm-hmm. That their original strategies actually push farther away from them. And then there's sort of a, a shift across the bottom of the model. We sort of organize this in a spiral around four quadrants and the, when I go from search, like, what do you really want here? What's really matters to you now? What's really important to you? And then we move over to shift, which is how are you going to do something about that? What needs to change for you mm-hmm. to begin to put into play what you discovered mattered most to you before? Mm-hmm. And so this is a phase around experimentation. And so, we, again, we don't set goals. We, set, we have this idea of a pivot. So, like, how can in any, any moment of the day, you pivot towards the new story that you're trying to build mm-hmm. um, as a different narrative strategy about how you want to approach your dilemma. Mm-hmm. And then, and then this is all, that's all largely an internal process, you know, right. you sorting out your own internal narrative. And then there's a, uh, an emergence back up into the world, uh, into what we call sustain, which is how are you going to bring this to life? And then it's a preparation, you know, like go find spaces where that's going to be welcome. Don't bother with people that will not accept you or support you. Come to them later. Right. And it's really about structuring their environment and structuring their habits around slowly um, building it up such that this new story becomes the way they live. And then they come back across to situate and start all over again. On the start story. all over again. Yeah. 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 Nice. I love that. I mean, I want to, I, I know the model, but I'm glad you got to, to show yeah. that model because what I appreciate is that you also showed how you start with the detail of the narrative and then you go into a very internal 
yes. kind of a process, which is explore, it's you know, searching and then seeking, exploring, experimenting. I mean, you gave that example with the, with, with the, the, the kayak. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's, well, what would it be like? Right. That look like, go try it out. And then the client can come back and say, well, guess what happened? I went, had a great, you know, I went to yeah. Alice Bay and it went well. Because we, we, we I could give her tips on mindfulness. We could have conversations about yourself and her self-worth. Or could just say, go out in your kayak for an hour without your phone. Yeah. And just pay attention. What's your experience like? Oh, well, the first half hour I was really anxious and I was really worried and I couldn't really enjoy myself. Then at one point I said, oh, what would David have me do? Oh, he'd have me just be quiet and listen to the water. <laughs> and so I, the last half hour was just blissful. And nothing happened. This guy didn't fall. I got back to my car, picked up my phone. There were a couple of messages, but I didn't even bother responding to them because they were not urgent. Mm-hmm. And everything was fine. And so I said, so then I became, how could you um, be in your kayak more often, literally and figuratively? Right. Ah, I like that. Figuratively. So then, you, you know, and once again, this is why you don't use the term goals. No. Because it's like, you know, how can I be in my kayak? Yeah. Not that it could be, I can be in my kayak right here. Yeah. And so then we built up to a very practical example where she had a woman that was on an annual contract for employment. And, and every year this woman was marginally acceptable as an employee. And every year they'd have this big drama uh, which I'm going to quit. You all don't appreciate me here. Da, 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 da. And every year this my client would, would rescue her, pull her back off the ledge. Oh no, we'll help you this year. It'll all be better. And, and, but it, the woman was just not a very good employee. And so um, uh, the guiding principle or the, or the pivot for my client was about is what you're about to do um, <clears throat> on behalf of your kayak or behalf, on behalf of your phone? <laughs> Oh, right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so she realized that the phone symbolized for her, her compulsion to help and fix and take care of and rescue. And, and so it came around, it just happened that a few weeks later after the kayak session, the, the, the annual migration came back around for this woman to come in to right, right. complain about why they don't love her. And, mm-hmm. and so she said, yes, and if you don't, I, I'm just going to leave. And, and so my client said, okay, Phone kayak, phone kayak. And she goes, kayak. So what would the kayak do? Oh, so she looked at the woman and said, I think that's a good idea. I think you should go. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, that wasn't the game we play. No, no. You, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. I think your your time's come here and I think it's probably time for you to look for something else where you'd be happier. Mm. And uh, and my clients had reported that it was just inside she was just nerve wracked. But right. it was yeah. so liberating just to say to this woman the truth which was, you don't belong here. This is not a good fit for you. Right. Um, and, and it was really the kayak and the confidence and the memory, the physical memory of having right. sitting in the kayak with no phone that allowed her to, to reaccess that state mm-hmm. so she could be her best self in talking to this woman. Which is, which is actually one of the reasons why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep mentioning that the book, <laughs> Narrative Coaching, is such an important book because you, you, you actually describe the transformative process yes. well, and yes. there's not a lot of coaching books that do that. Yes. Observation. And yes. it's, it's actually very wonderfully articulated. It's, it's, a, it's a model. It's a methodology. It's open, so it's not saying you got to do it this way. No. It's just saying, look, at this is, we can describe what's happening this way. 
check it out. Yes. Right? And it's powerful. And so, and then I'm listening to you tell stories. It's like, you can see how that, how that works. And then the other thought that came up is how healing your, your work ends up being healing in all sorts of contexts. Yes. You know, I you're not necessarily so. working in healthcare, but often these transformations you're describing are very healing for people. Yes. Very much so. That, you know, so, so that would be where I would go next with, uh, you know, with the, the challenges and the opportunities, you know. So, you know, narrative coaching fundamentally is a healing methodology, basically. Correct. It is. So what do we, how do we, how do we, what are the challenges or what are the, I guess those are two different questions. What are the opportunities for bringing this into anyone's work, whether, you know, you know as health coaches to pick one or into health care? Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, for, um, you know, again, it's about helping us be kinder to ourselves. Mm. Uh, we don't have to fix everything by ourselves. We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to know everything. A lot of what actually will be healing in the end is already present in the room mm. and already present in the person. All we're doing is helping to make that more visible. So we're making the invisible visible. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the model that I teach around coaching is not a a model that we impose on a conversation. Now we're gonna, gonna do coaching. Mm -hmm. It's actually how people are trying to find their way to a new story anyways. And all we're doing is helping them kind of bookmark that a bit and help guide it a bit and resource that a bit so it actually can be more productive. So in most corporate environments, the underlying message leaders will give me is, I'm in situation, that's fine. I don't like it, but yeah, that's fine. I, can, you, can I just be over and sustain now? Can you give me a few tips about how to be in sustain? Right. <laughs> or you're coming to your doctor, can I just take a few pills for this? Exactly, yeah, it's a good analogy. And, and unfortunately, so much of medicine in the West is very prone to just saying, sure, I can do that. Right. And they don't do actually the work to change the life that created many of the problems in the first place. And right. most of the, my understanding of most of the illnesses we face in the West are directly or indirectly related to our lifestyle. Lifestyle, yeah, that's what we're saying. Else, which is all about those bottom two quadrants, about changing your narrative and changing your, your core life. Right. Um, and so the, the opportunity really is for us to rethink our role. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm here as an adjunct to a process that's underway. W w where and how and if can I be helpful in this or mm -hmm. not? And, mm -hmm. it, and, um, and then being able to then more selectively use our expertise Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've done a lot of work with programs that serve children who are mm -hmm. ill mm -hmm. and um, trying to help the staff realize that your fundamental job is to help the family flourish mm -hmm. using your particular expertise. And the reality is you might see this child one hour a week, whereas the other time, they're, all the other hours of the week, they're with their family. So whether or not they make it as a child in terms of their condition outside of, you know, sort of catastrophic or acute pieces is largely a function of the environment the child's in when they're not with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, the opportunity is really around, again, rethinking our role, um, giving more faith to our bodies and our natural healing capacities, mm -hmm. and um, listening on behalf of the person and their story, not on behalf of our expertise. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've, you know, and so I think that's just really quite, helpful and I think um, most of the healing that I notice in my work comes from places that people don't understand where it came from. Mm, exactly. That we, didn't, we don't need to know. It's not that, there's not a causal relationship between problem and solution that way. There's really yeah, just, yeah, yeah. no, there's not. I mean, there is for, yes, if your arm is broken, a cast would be a good indicated treatment for that, right? But 
for things that are less obvious, like, you know, um, dissatisfaction with a job or mm -hmm. unhappiness in a relationship or frustration with a career, there's not a linear path to that solution. Because mm -hmm. we, because I guess I would say, Joel, is, yeah. um, the, uh, clients will tell you one way or another that they think they know what's going on and they think therefore what the solution is and they want you to help them get that solution. Mm. The vast majority of times, um, people have no idea what's really going on for them. All they have is a presenting story. And so we'll take it at face value because that's what they offer. Right. But we know that there's actually more to that story than even they are aware of at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we don't rush in and try to solve the problem they presented because it's not usually the problem anyways. It's something well, else. No, that's key. Actually, it's really interesting because, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've been coaching. You know, what I find is that clients really, you know, not everyone, because some people really want their pills. Yeah. More often than not, when you offer the space to engage, what's going on inside it just opens up the whole world yes so my clients really love dealing with their health issues in this more open manner yeah you know what you just said also is yeah so like you know three out of the top five uh you know illnesses that most people are getting are lifestyle and lifestyle is more complex than just simple causative well this is because you're not eating right yes correct right the right ratio of vegetables to uh yeah. You know, protein and it's like well that you know to some extent that's generally true at the same time why is that and how is your life organized or keep repeating itself yeah right? so you're you are describing a i would i hear a couple of things one is i hear trust that if we don't solve the problem immediately that we still will have an impact yes trusting that it's all there and then also allowing the client to have a bigger feel to sort of to to see themselves within versus just a series of a, I'm causing this by doing this. Right. You know, I'm in a story that has a lot of different variables and I better check out what some of these other things are. Yeah. And, and then from there might emerge a whole different approach. So it's actually what's going on in their interiors or what they're, what the, what the, the you know, what's the inside, I guess is the language. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, it's powerful. Right? I, I think we, so. Yeah. It works um, quite well. And the thing that I, appreciate about it people feel like it um because there's a lot in the book about all the academic foundations as you mentioned that people think it has to be complex and i said well it's only complex in the sense that it operates at multiple levels at the same time i said but fundamentally uh, and I do, we do an activity in our program right at the start to show people that you actually know how to do this you all know how to do this no one's ever failed that activity yeah. We just get all these constructs about how we think we're supposed to be and do certain things. And in reality, you know, so much of this is just so profoundly simple. Yeah. yeah. And it's just getting all this stuff out of the way. So we actually can connect from one human being to the next and, um, and really discern what is it we actually really need to be uh, talking about here. Yeah, you know, that's what's so actually so beautiful about the model that you've presented, because I mean, it is, I'm fascinated by the, the origins and the academics and the, yeah. and the theory of it. But at the same time, you're describing, it's almost like you're describing play. Yes, very, play much. very complex. If you watch kids play, you watch adults play, you watch NCAA play, you yeah. watch animals, yeah. dogs, it's very complex. But on, on some level, it's just totally simple. Yes, it's just happening. Yeah. What you just said is that trusting that that most everybody <laughs> can yeah. can show up this way. Yes. 
right? And so you're actually then become someone who's more harnessing and guiding rather than directing and, you know, creating the next expert. Yes. Right? It's, it's, a, okay. it's a profound work. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. As you see, you see, I'm a big fan. <laughs> and I hope others go check out this particular work because you teach classes, you teach yeah. classes online, you have a book. I know, I mean, you coach people, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways of getting to your particular material. And there's actually, I heard there's more books coming down the line. There is. Yeah, and we also, we also do this in organizations as well to um, help them in, embed coaching in the way they do business. Right, which I, I think is one of the places where, you know, you, you know, your work in terms of health care and getting the system to actually start to sort of see different, uh, you know, different ways that it shows up, like hospitals or, you know, management is actually really, really important. Yeah. Uh, because very much, uh, you know, healthcare still has a habit of wanting cause, causal outcomes yeah. in a world that is very partially causal <laughs> yeah, yeah. at best right yeah. you know, in that particular way um, well, yeah well, i was also going to say though just uh just to add a little bit of a twist to the thing about listening is that one of the phrases that my one of my best students um used to describe his experience of this work he said it's extraordinarily buddhist until it's not <laughs> he said because you it's not like you just like you're zenning out and like you just like let it all come and don't, as he said, you, you actually are very closely listening to what's happening at a lot of different levels. And then when there's an opportunity to say, here's a door, let's go. It, you said you're very direct, not because you're going to name the door or force them to walk through the door or tell them what the door means or where it goes. You're just going to say, here's the door. Right. You know, and we're not going to look over here anymore because that's just like a beige yep. wallpaper. Yeah. Um, You've, heard, you've said that story 12 times now. We're not going to go there anymore. Here's the, actually the door to what you really want. Mm -hmm. And that's the part I love, which is, and people ask, um, well, how did I come to be able to do that? And I said, well, practice, lots of it. I said, but it's because I've um, really attuned my ability to listen at so mm -hmm. many levels at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that's, again, it's, um, it's about listening in a very deep way so that you don't need lots of material to find that door to open it and begin to explore what's really happening uh, for this person. And it's, um, and so the, the, uh, the two most common things that happen at the end of a session are one is that the person's face completely softens mm -hmm. because all the facades drop, all the pretends drop, all the shoulds drop, and they come back to a more authentic sense of themselves. Mm -hmm. And they report a feeling of coming home to mm -hmm. themselves. Mm. And um, for me, that's the essence of what healing actually is. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it is, and yeah. and that will you know inform their how they are. That's like nourishment. Yes, it's all nourishment in some. Yes, way, right? it is. It yeah. is very much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. I, I was gonna. Your your image before. I mean, there must be some great Zen you know, saying about that. But, but what I hear you saying is that, you know, you're pointing it out, but then you are still encouraging the client to have to go find out for themselves. Yes. Right. And that's actually really key. It's, it's like saying, and that is actually one of the basic Buddhist doctrine is the idea that you got to know it yourself. It's not, it's not no. like somebody tells you, it's like, go figure it out. Right. Yeah, so so I, I'll point out the door I see. And if they don't either want to go through that door or, don't agree with me, that's fine. But I'll, my only job is to point out the door and to mm -hmm. say, I will stand here by the door with you. 
right. uh, you, you, only you can cross, right? Not me. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to tell me what, what you think this door means, mm -hmm. uh, what you think or are afraid of is going to happen on the other side or, or hoping is going to happen on the other side. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to do the work to get yourself ready. And I will challenge you to get ready because mm -hmm. I don't want you to go across this, through this door unprepared. And I said, mm -hmm. but this is for you. And I'm gonna stay out here and you're gonna go in the door. And if you need me to be inside with you to support that, I can, but right. it's really about you and your journey. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a it's such a wonderful, it's a very you're actually describing a very richly textured role of the coach. Yes, very much so. Yeah, and that that that, that was a that's a key one. We'll have to <laughs> Yeah. one out for, for for you and for later use because it really is i mean coaching can be rather passive it can be overly active but the way you just described it it's so richly textured yes allowing the moment to unfold and trusting that that if you keep showing up in this way that transformation will naturally emerge yes you know, well and so from in your context of healthcare, i mean it's one of the things we do in teaching coaches is invite them to the possibility of allowing themselves to have a fluid set of roles during the session. Mm. Not just sit in their chair and go, hmm, tell me some more about that. But actually, do we do a lot of movement. We get up and we, we, we play characters in their stories. We play director of a play. We play them. We play their arch enemy. We, we are their comforter. We are their knight. We, are, we, we move with the story as it's trying to reshape itself. Mm -hmm. And we basically call attention or give voice to aspects of their story, which need to kind of come into the room more. Um, and so sometimes we're really close and intimate because we want to tell them that we care for them and we're here. We, we see them and we're there. And sometimes we're backing away because we want them to take more ownership of the space and of the process. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I find it's very challenging for some coaches in the beginning who are mm -hmm. used to like, like people in healthcare, I have a job to do. Mm -hmm. You're my patient or you're my client and I will do this job for you or to you or <laughs> as opposed to we're in this story together mm -hmm. and I know some things and you know some things and the system knows some things and I, I can help, I, I, get, I will get in your way, you'll get in your way, the system will get in your way, but together we will work out to find a path to help you get what you need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, I think, you know, I mean, we could just keep going on. Yes, like we could. <laughs> Yeah. It's, but it, it's 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 a you know I'm really enjoying the conversation. I just really I'm a, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your work. I think this is really important work for the health and wellness coaching industry because we are. I mean, there's value to a lot of different styles of coaching. Yes. Not sitting here so. saying this is the style. And there's certainly I know lots of people who who need someone to get in their face and you know yeah. really push them. But for, you know, because of the, the general uh, way that, that physicians and the healthcare is delivered, there isn't much room for what you're describing. No. And so there's a big need. And I know for me, because I, most of my clients are coming in for health complaints, they just, just really find it to be like, they want to come back. You know, they yeah. want to be engaged in this way, which was way different than when I was just an integrated physician and I was just prescribing natural pills. Sure. Versus, you know, yeah. now they're like, oh, I'm like really checking out whole new worlds here. Uh, and, and this is really a practical example of that, Joel. So we go back to where I started with the story about my own cancer. Mm -hmm. So the first visit when she was doing all these different probes and this and that was probably a half an hour session, which yielded 
well, she, they, she ruled out some things, but didn't really yield anything that was satisfying in the end for, for either of us. The second session was about seven minutes. So it took about a quarter of the time, but got the resolution because she focused on what am I needing to, what am I missing? What mm -hmm. can I ask that would help create a path to an understanding? Mm -hmm. And that's where she asked about how I was sitting when I most noticed the problem. Right. And so for me, it was just a great example of it's not about time. This mm -hmm. actually is a very, can be a very quick and powerful process because of the way that we listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's being open. Yes. The emergence of what's going to happen. And there's yeah. so much healing. So you're able to unlock all this healing at lots of different levels, depending on, you know, people have stuff and, you know, there's mental, emotional, physical, they're all opportunities. Yes. But we have to allow that space. So I guess that goes back to the first one. You got to tell me the silence one again. because Oh, yes. Um, only speak when you can improve on silence. Hmm. Well, I hope that we, maybe we could be silent for another couple of minutes just yeah. to sort of add to that. But it's been a wonderful conversation, and I really want to thank you for taking the time to share your work with us and your wisdom. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate it very much.